That sounded like that had been superimposed over my voice, but I promise it, I was saying it at the same oh, time. Oh, no, no, <laughs> if I superimpose it, it'll sound much better than that. <laughs> yeah, you would have put much more effort in. Um, of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we discuss films previously described by other uh, repeat offenders as masterpieces. I am Nick, the hard-working servant of the podcast, and I am joined as ever by Roger, the distraught middle-aged abandoned um, mother of the podcast. That would explain a few things. Yeah. <laughs> and we are in the year 2018 discussing... Yeah. I mean, our... goodness, we're getting close to the present day. We are. It feels like these are films that I... There's a lot of films from around this area that I are like on my list to watch that I just haven't got around to watching anyway, because um, it's been that long. Um, this is our third Alfonso Cuaron film. After Children of Men, which I think we both liked with some reservations. Some reservations, but particularly yeah. have, having since then tried to read the book and decided that this was where our journey with P.T. James was going to come to an end, <laughs> I, I feel more favourably about the film. The, the, yeah, we're not talking about that uh, film, but uh, yeah. Well, um, and, uh, and of course, Gravity. Gravity, which we both uh, um, are too... With reservations. Yeah, it, yeah. I'm visually there, there was stunning. lots to yeah. like about it, but um, not anything to do with the plot or anything that happened in space or the way physics worked. <laughs> um, but we're not going to have that problem here. We're certainly not in space with Roma. Except we very are, briefly. Uh, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was a nod to gravity or not, or what. But this is Alfonso Cuarón's. And I'm going to admit this when I didn't, uh, I didn't know this when I, when we went into Roma, but it is a strongly autobiographical film. Well, that's not even true, really. Um, I, th- I think part... it's more that it's set in a time and place where Quaron lived while he was growing up, rather but than being than... about specific events that happened to him. That's the impression I get, anyway. Well, but they basically recreated his childhood ho- home for this, like the house that they used was just opposite his actual childhood home. Mm -hmm. And they, as far as they could from his memories, made it his house. Yeah. So it's it's that strongly. It's it's not just sort of, oh, I grew up in this place. I'll I'll set a film in this place where I grew up. It's, um, it is, well, it's a weird one in the sense that it is the uh, memories of him as a child, but he didn't, for whatever reason, it, it isn't the story of him as a child. It, it is not the story of a boy. No, not of at that all. Age or whatever, yeah. It is the story of the uh, the maidservant, basically, um, Cleo. Yeah. Uh, now, she is a fictional character, but she is heavily based on uh, Quaron's own um, uh, maidservant at the time. I've forgotten her actual name, and maybe that uh, shouldn't really matter, should it, for the <laughs> film particularly, but... Um, uh, so, uh, the reason I suggested Roma, I didn't know a lot about it, but I, uh, I looked at a number of sort of best film lists 
uh, from a number of different people, and it topped, I think, three or four of them. I couldn't remember, but it was it was at the top of a number of them. Yeah, um, it, it got a very positive critical response. We don't know about box office for reasons we'll come back to, um, but it's you know ninety six percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much everybody said it's a good thing. It's a masterpiece. It won the Golden Lion. We'll come back to the Academy Awards. Quite how they could declare it a masterpiece without talking to us, I don't know. But um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I suppose we didn't exist at that time. Uh, It did a a ton at the... Well, we'll come on to the Academy Awards, I guess, towards the end. Um, But it was beloved by critics. Now, uh, that's not necessarily a good sign of a good film, as we have discovered before. Um, well, I, I think we're going to come back to this. Yeah, but well, let's yeah. let's talk about Roma itself. That's why but we. I, I think we we we've both learned not to get too much into what what other people have said about a film before we watch it ourselves, because yeah, it either it can put us off and put us in a bad mood, or me at yeah. least, or it can raise expectations, and then when it's only good and not brilliant, it feels worse. So it tends to make your extractions your. Um, uh, your reaction's more extreme in a way, doesn't it? If if you don't like it and everyone else has said how great it is, you really don't like it. Um, and if everyone else has given it a kicking and you quite like it, then you're probably going to really like it. Um, Which is certainly accounts for my positive feelings about Ghosts of Mars to some extent. Yeah. I was going to Ghosts of Mars was in my mind when I said that. Um, so anyway, Roma yeah. is... uh, I, I went into this knowing that it had been pretty popular among critics yes. and not really much else beyond that. Yes, I knew nothing about it. In fact, I, I sort of enjoyed piecing together where we were and what era we were as the film started. Um, but it becomes clear we're in um, 1970s Mexico at a time of great troubles for Mexico. Mexico's had its fair share of troubles, but this is a time of political instability or about to become a time of great political instability in Mexico. Uh, yeah, and in, in um, this is where the title comes from, Colonia Roma, um, mm. which is which I, I, I mean, you, you don't necessarily get this feeling from the film, but I think I think knowing this did help inform my uh, watching of it. Uh, it started off as an upper class neighbourhood uh, on the west side of the city, Mexico yes. City. And then, then the city, as it does, gradually expanded around it. So you know, by the 1940s, it was middle class and sinking slightly because the upper class people had moved out. And, and yes. And, and yeah. by, by this point, um, it was definitely everything's getting a bit tawdry and tatty and not really being maintained, which you do see from, from the sets that they've obviously constructed in some detail. Yes. I mean, certainly the, you know, the inside, it's very spacious, uh, a beautiful house, but it is in you. It is in a not a really rough neighbourhood, but you're getting the impression, as you say, it's on its way down or just looking a bit worn around the scene, or ju- just slowly decaying, like like yeah. the UK, really. <laughs> if only it was slightly. Um, and so we follow the story of um, Cleo, um, who is the, as I say, the, the I I I say maid servant as a sort of a general term she's the maid she's the cleaner she's the uh, there are two two um, as far as we can tell two maids yeah i don't think we really see the other very much she um no but she's and basically she, she she's one of the two live-in staff so obviously on that sort of scale um they 
we we talked about this with uh, uh, the Julia Roberts one, the Frankenstein. The, uh... Oh, uh, uh, the oh dear, the uh, amazing performance by um, uh, uh, John Malkovich, um, yeah. uh, 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 Mary so, Riley. So, we, um, as, as we talked about a bit there, when, when you when you've basically got uh, what four, four children plus the parents plus the parents, well, the, the mother of the family's elderly mother. And two servants, they're, they're basically all mucky into doing out of everything. It's not, you know, this is your specific job and, and you will do nothing else. That's right, yeah. There's, there's a lot of those general, everything from uh, helping the kids uh, go to sleep to cleaning up the enormous amounts of dog turd that we are treated to in this film. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and we follow her story from... Um, uh, doing a day job, her relation with the kids... Um, and, and it is um, that they. I, th- I think it would be fair to say, you know, post World War One, post World War Two relationship with servants, as in they are part of the family, even if they're part of the family who do what they're told. It's certainly not an upstairs downstairs, um, uh, but equally, yeah, no one's under any illusions that she's uh, a family member. But she's, you know, treats it. It's almost like a. Uh, I, I, it's difficult. There's a number of times already during this podcast that I've bounced off going into depth about the things we're talking about, um, the Mexican history, the upstairs-downstairs relationship, and I feel like bouncing off it again here because I want to talk about uh, the relationship between the, the uh, her employer and her, um, but I, I already feel like I want to go into more depth than the film does, which may be... Mm. Which may be part of my problem with Roma, at least, um, because we don't really. I mean, we get the. She's clearly um, very keen on the children. She's clearly, well, I say clearly um, that uh, uh, Cleo is a very uh, battened down character. She has a very. Um, unemotional fixed expression um she doesn't have many lines of dialogue i mean um, that might be because as somebody of mixed egg and ancestry um rather than spanish yes um, she she thinks she can't get away with being more emotional or it might be because she's just naturally like that and the film isn't going to tell us no, <laughs> well, that, uh, I, 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 it's got to be a choice to have this very buttoned-down character, and I'm not. In, in no way am I saying this is a bad acting performance. She just clearly is that type of character, uh, and it very. We have uh, come off the back of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, not so far or a lot, not so long ago, and I struggled with K there because he's very much, you know, one of my things about Blade Runner was. Um, the really interesting thing about Blade Runner, uh, the original, is that all the humans are these kind of very sad, mopey, miserable characters, <laughs> and all the replicants are full of joy and life. Uh, they do terrible things, but they, at least they feel emotions and they show it. Um, and one of my problems with Blade Runner 2049 was that Kay, who's the replicant, uh, spoiler, it's not really a spoiler because he's um, uh, made out as a replicant right at the start, um, is this very kind of emotionally cold, to me, Kubrickian character uh, in the Stanley Kubrick always makes me feel like this when I watch his films, except um, uh, Doctor Strange Love, because you could not get uh, Peter Sellers to behave like that if you gave him 
uh, 20 kilos of Valium, I suspect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, here, Cleo, it, well, as you, I guess, intimate, that was a very long way of, uh, long way around the houses of me saying she's quite an unreadable character. Hmm. Uh, and Not just in terms of the acting style, but in terms of the shots we see. I mean, she... I, I could believe it if somebody said, yeah, you know, she, she, she leaves the room and she's, she's silently screaming, but yeah. we don't, we never see it, so we wouldn't know. So we, we get the impression, in fact, the, the closest to understanding her, I, I think it's quite clear that she loves the children. Um, mm. and she, she, you know, there's moments where the kids are all watching the TV and she'll just sit down with them briefly before she gets on with the chores. Um, and holds their hands and just sort of enjoys it and laughs along with the family, which is a nice moment. Um, don't get many other moments quite like that. Um, but yeah, you, uh, so we have this central protagonist, um, who's, uh, difficult to read. Um, mm. and it's nothing to do with the, I, I, you know, we've discussed a number of foreign language films. I, I don't think I normally find, uh, foreign language films any less sort of emotional or interesting um, but I, I found um, Cleo a difficult character to get to know uh, and ultimately to sympathise with that's, uh, that's the slightly odd thing I mean it may be because we very rarely see her on her own um, mm. she is perhaps always on company manners yes that could be it and we do towards right at the end of the film which I guess we'll come to, we do get to see a bit of emotion, which is, I guess, her equivalent of Kay's, God damn it, right at the end of Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I had warmed to Kay by that point, and with Cleo... There's uh, not much to get hold of, yeah. There's not much to get hold of. Uh, so we see, uh, aside from a, a life in the in the household, we see her life outside, and she we see her going to the cinema, we see her with her... Uh, awful boyfriend, <laughs> Fermi. Um, uh, I, what I, you know, one of the things I did appreciate about, about this film is we get no female nudity, um, but we get some full frontal male nudity. Um, and it, you know, it's in no way is any of it for titillation, but the, you know, there's no exploitation of um, mm. Cleo's uh, character here, which is you know, just it's just sort of casual and not something you see that often, to be honest, in films. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we uh, we follow her basically. I mean, her story is uh, uh, not um, trivial, but relatively slim. She gets pregnant uh, to her boyfriend, who, when he is confronted with the fact that she's pregnant, he uh, abandons her in a cinema. I mean, that's a that's sort of a nice scene. Mm. Well, not nice, but it was it's nice. It, it feels well <laughs> observed. I mean, that, well, to be yeah. fair, the whole thing does. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the... Um, I mean, this is, you know, one of the things we liked about Gravity was it was flipping beautiful. Mm. Um, and I, uh, insofar as w what we're looking at, it's a really beautiful film, this film, or it's very well filmed. I mean, we're not really looking at beautiful things for the most part, but it, it's beautifully framed and beautifully shot, uh, as was, uh, like, Paris, Texas. Mm. But I guess with Paris, Texas, we were looking at some uh, gorgeous scenery as well. But I, I was to some extent reminded of that. And similarly, you know, not a lot of plot. I, I honestly, I did find that more compelling in terms of what was going on. But yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it's a th- we, we are going to talk about um, our reaction to film in general as well, I think. I th- um, yeah, I think so. We, we've seen quite a few films that are basically, well, all right, you know, you, 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 can, get, you can get a story anywhere, but you can't get stuff that looks like this. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. And this is not, I mean, it's not one of those lush, hyper-coloured modern productions like, well, for example, Blade Runner 2049, but it is yes, a pleasure to look beautiful. at, quite separately yes, from any other appreciations I might have for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly expertly done, and what we've all, always, well, what we've thought about Quran uh, both times is that he's uh, he's certainly got no problems in the you know the cinematography. I, I don't know who his cinematographer is here, but um, I think he had a lot to do with it. But he's, uh, yeah, he he is the uh, he is the cinematographer, well. but he, he's clearly a very visual, uh, a visually oriented director, and extremely good at that. Um, I mean, there's nothing. We, we, we should, I think it's possibly worth mentioning some, something on the technical side. I mean, A, a it's yes. in black and white, fair enough. Yes, yeah. Um, I don't get that same feeling of nostalgia just because something's in black and white because I grew up with a black and white telly. But, um. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I never quite sure. I, hmm. at, at the very least, I don't have a problem with it. And, and no, I, I think just, it does a reasonable just, job here. And the other thing is the, some, somewhat lost on us, I suspect, um, uh, the dialogue is in both Spanish and mixed tech, depending on who's speaking, and the subtitles, at least in the version I watched, are, are tagged differently depending on which it is. Yes. So, th- so that's that whole, you know, we've got these two uh, interpenetrating cultures. Yes. And uh, Cleo, to some extent, is bridged between them because she's living in the one uh, in in her work and home life, and and in the other when she's going out and having fun. So. And once again, I feel like we have now said everything the film has to say about that. <laughs> just, we can talk about, um, uh, well, uh, yeah. So Cleo's story then, she, uh, uh, she's terrified during the student uprisings. Fermi, her ex-boyfriend, levels a gun at her, uh, in a department store while she's going out getting a crib. And she has uh, a miscarriage. Either as a result of that or unrelated to it, but probably partly to do with that and the, the very long wait to get to the hospital afterwards. Yeah, when we um, say in the student uprising, we should point out that that, that um, Fermin is actually in one of the paramilitary groups that were basically putting down the students. suppressing the student uprising. <laughs> Literally putting down one of the students in front. Of, um, yeah, yeah, um, and that's. That's kind of it um, for for Cleo's story. We have the parallel story of um, uh, the mother, <coughs> who is um, Sophia, Sophia yeah. uh, who's the mother of the family. Um, <coughs> we don't have much about the dad because he disappears um, for most of the film. Uh, he's basically that that family is disintegrating. Um, we don't really see a lot of it other than what Cleo and the children over here a bit. Um, but, uh, basically they, uh, they are fending for themselves. Um, uh, one assumes there is still some money coming in, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that, I, again, I'm struggling to sort of fill in the blanks there because there isn't a huge amount more to the, I mean, w- Wikipedia says Sophia's distressed reactions to his absences suggest he is actually having an affair and, that I think puts it rather more clearly than the film does. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yes, certainly by the end of the film you're in no doubt, but 
It's not clear at the beginning, no. Well, oh, yeah, I, then, I, then, then Cleo sees him on the street and he's uh, clearly involved with somebody else, but yeah. And that, I, I, well, well, we'll circle back around to it then, because to me, I felt like this film mm, just sort of showed us a lot of things. I mean, it's obviously the opposite of um, show, don't tell, but I mean, it, it, it showed us a lot of stuff that didn't, to me at least, uh, explore them in any in any depth. There's some a number of things I'm interested in. I mean, uh, the Mexican history I'm interested in, but we we see it happening. We don't understand the context, but that's that's fine. I mean, that will spur mm. me on to to read more about Mexico, and I'm interested. But it's it's not really central to the plot. It's very peripheral, I, I think, and doesn't desperately affect. Uh, it's hard to know whether it's the cause of the miscarriage or not. I, I think oh, it's a reasonable reading that it, it probably didn't help. Um, yeah. Uh, we have, as as I talked about, the, the kind of the master and servant or the employee-employer relationship, which is, uh, I, I want to say it's touched on. It's not, it's not, I don't even feel it's really touched on. It's just presented. Um, and it's realistic, it's realistically done. I mean, I'm not, in no way am I disputing any of this is untrue or not true to the spirit of it or not realistically produced. It just, it shows me stuff that I'm, um, interested in in a way that just sort of and then just sort of moves on without exploring we have this i that one part of the film that really did hit home very hard is the stillbirth scene mm. where uh we have cleo um well we i mean we showed in quite uh quite detailed you know what happens um yeah i mean it's, it's not Bloody and close up, but no. Yes. I was about to say graphic, and it's not graphic, but it's uh, it's detailed. We see the resuscitation process of the children. I didn't spend a lot of time resuscitating that kid. I must say, it was like twenty seconds, but it was pretty obvious that. Um... I, I think it was helped a lot by the fact that most of the, I mean, ev- everybody in this is not an established actor, with, with one yes. very minor exceptions, um, but. That in particular, those were basically actual hospital staff moonlighting rather than uh, extras told to dress up in gowns and things. So when they said, you know, this baby is going to be stillborn, do what you do, yeah, they do it. Well, that, I think where that's strong, there's a uh, after they've pronounced the baby, uh, the nurse just uh, to, wraps uh, wraps the baby up in a. Uh, a shroud, I guess, I guess. But the way she does it, almost, you can tell it's just muscle memory. She just does it and it turns into mm-hmm. this perfect sort of cocoon, uh, which I found fascinating and depressing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so that, that was, it was a really hard watch. Um, it was happening to a character that I was struggling to sympathise with. And, and although at that moment, of course, you know, you feel awful and it's true. But then... And you see her reacting at the time, but then immediately after that, we kind of cut to more normal domestic scenes. I mean, I mm. she's she's well, what she does in response to that is kind of locked down, and she was already quite a buttoned down <laughs> character, <laughs> and we get her kind of shutting us out even more. Uh, and I understand it, but as a viewer. Uh, I, it makes me feel one a terrible human being and two uh, not very engaged with the film after that scene. I think one one thing that I look for in what you might call a more arty 
style of film from 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 the usual is that you're not being told what to feel the the yeah. way you clearly are when you know here here is this guy comes on screen the music swells <laughs> yeah. all the rest of it um and yet here we, and that 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 sort of cueing mostly wasn't there but it was still pretty yeah. clear that you're supposed to sympathize with this person <laughs> yeah well maybe not. we we uh, and she, maybe she, that's she does not problem. do anything that could be regarded as bad. So. You'd have to be pretty heartless not to um, sympathise with her, but uh, or empathise with her. It's, but she's a hard. Uh, I'm not compelled to see what happens. Well, the thing that did occur to me is that she really doesn't have much in the way of agency. Now that yeah. that is innate, given her situation, she she has a limited range of things she can do if she doesn't mm-hmm. want to lose her job and all the rest of it. But here is a story about a person who doesn't have agency and go, goes along doing the thing that she can do. It's not an interesting story, particularly no. if she never even appears to notice that she doesn't. No, I'm thinking through. What I mean, the closest we get to agency, she tracks down Fermin. Um. And she has to sort of push for that a bit. And, that... and he says, "If if if you if I see you again, I'll kill you." And so yeah. and then she goes away. And that's that's the, that's the whole of that plot. Um, so I suppose the second point where she has agency is the other scene that moved me, which is um, I don't know uh, how you felt, but but the uh, the scene right at the end, they're all playing on the beach. Mm. Um, they're explicitly told not to go swimming. They do go swimming. They ca- get caught in the waves, and she goes and rescues them. And that's. Uh, Even though canonically uh, she cannot swim, yeah, yeah, it's well, she never really. She just sort of strides. She, the she water. walks, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, that's nice. I mean, as it turns out, I mean, Yelitsa Aparicio also couldn't swim. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it probably happened, or at least it's hard to know how much of this is filtered through Quaron's memory. But no, no, I mean, something... I mean the the uh, actor playing well, the actress couldn't. So yes, yeah. I... Uh, it probably <laughs> included some distress there. Um, uh, I, I found that really moving that at the end, you know, she then says, I didn't want it. And then sort of it explains some of her other reactions. Turns out she never wanted the child. And so a lot of her reactions are probably guilt. And probably wondering if she caused this with those feelings. Now, I'm wondering about that because none of that is explained. <laughs> or that You just have to think, oh, maybe... And I, I, as you say, I, I don't, I, I mean, everyone likes being told what to think a bit, but you've got to be subtle about it. Here, the, here, the film is a bit, uh, either, I, yeah, as you say, there's not, there's no sort of moral quandary, and there's, there's nothing to, there's no like, um, she's treated quite well by her employer, so whatever you think about, uh, maids uh, and employees and that kind of relationship there's no sort of fuel for the fire here i mean if you hate it you're not going to feel any different there's nothing controversial about it other than she's a servant Mm. but she's a paid servant so you know it's not um and similarly uh you know miscarriages happen a lot more than we I think talk about in society you know it's pretty common in a pregnancy I, i mean in the tens Fifteens of percent, I think. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not a trivial. Well, I mean, t- I, I thing think that it never happens. L- looking at it in in the uh, technical sense, a, a lot of them happen before the uh, mother even realizes that she is pregnant. Well, that's so. true. Yes, yeah, um, and so 
what that would do to the proportion. I don't know. Well, put it up, wouldn't it? Um, I just... Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what I'm dancing around here is my overall reaction to this film is the least useful film to talk about, the least useful reaction to talk about any film, because my reaction could be summed up with, meh, and that's not... Uh, not an easy thing to talk about in a discussion. There, there, there were it. definitely bits I liked. There wasn't really yes. anything that I didn't like, because yes. it, but there's a lot of it that I, I found, frankly, flat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Yelitsa uh, Aparicio as her first time. Sorry, Aparicio, uh, first time uh, acting. Uh, she trained as a preschool teacher. She's done one or two other acting jobs since, but that that but the teaching is her main thing. Um, right, yes. I don't know the other actors. I think uh, most of them are first time or close to it. That fed into other things like um, that the house is built into the house rather than being on a soundstage. So, so right, that yes. they would have stuff all around them and could, could react to it more naturally, that kind of thing. Uh, which I like. I mean, that, that sort of naturalistic style is, is one I tend to favour. I do, I do also think much as with, um, is it Mike Lee? They filmed it in sequence. Yeah. Uh, and they, I don't know if they, they had pretty hazy details of the plot as they went along. I think it was a surprise, uh, to Yulitsa that there was a, a drowning scene at the end, I guess, <laughs> because she couldn't swim. Um, and so that might have been a bit of a shock to her. Um, I can understand that as a technique to get a good acting performance. I don't know. I mean, these are not, I'm not, uh, they weren't poorly acted. I just, I, I'm going to be frank. I, I, I found a lot of the film boring. There, there I, are you know, some nonverbal performances where you, you can look at somebody's face and work out what they are hypothetically feeling. And those yes. can be great. And we don't get those here. What we have is a largely blank largely mute protagonist. I mean, you, you were talking about um, Half-Life. Yeah, well, that's... Uh, yeah, it was an interesting... Uh, uh, it occurred to me, you know, Half-Life is this... Uh, sorry, the computer game Half-Life. We have the mute protagonist, Gordon Freeman, because Valve, who made the game, decided that, you know, it's going to be much better to feel like you're in the game if you have a mute protagonist. Well, but, pre pretty much all the earlier first-person shooters were, were mute anyway, but they were all about shooting stuff rather than <laughs> Half -Life yeah, actually, actually, actually had standing a, next to people and not shooting them. Yeah, it actually had a plot. Um, but I think what you feel in Half-Life and in Half-Life 2 is, to some extent, this character's not reacting in a way that I would, and so it pulls you out of the game. This character's not like, oh, or what the fuck? Uh, you know, they mm. don't do anything. And so when you have a character like that, and I believe Valve sort of found this, it actually disengages you rather than allows you to slot yourself into the plot. So when they came up to uh, do the VR version Half-Life Alex, you have the opposite. You have this very verbal character mm. that you're playing who's constantly bantering back and forth over the radio. And as a result you feel much more engaged with the game. Um, uh, so it's sort of maybe counterintuitive. But if the point was with Cleo to make us project into her character, I just, I felt, I perhaps that's unfair on Cleo. I mean, it's not that she didn't react in, in emotional ways when it was called for. It's just most of the other time we have a, a pretty blank canvas with Cleo. And it, she I, she, I she hasn't, it, clearly has an interior life. But yes. I, but we only get glimpses of it. Yeah, and that 
uh, is realistic. There are people like that. It's just hard as an audience member to, to sort of root for them. And, and I, I did she feel she was doing a lot of going with the flow. I mean, she doesn't seem, even when she thinks she can get Fermin to help her out with the baby and so on, she, she doesn't seem particularly in, um, keen on him. Exactly, yeah. You never know, really. Is she really upset that Fermin left, or is she relieved? You don't know. You find out she didn't want the baby in the end. I, d- I feel... I, uh, I mean, it's I Mexico really... in the 1970s. I can quite believe that she would not even conceive of the idea of having an abortion. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. But we don't know that. We don't know. Does she wrestle with the idea of having an abortion? Does, does she... We don't know. Um, I, I agree with you. It's pretty likely she doesn't even think about it. You know, it's a very... Um, uh, uh, I mean, go, well, going by the way these things usually work, her employer would certainly know where you could get one because the upper class always do. But... Yeah, I, I'm sure she could have had something. In fact, there's a moment when she goes to the hospital and I thought, oh, are they arranging an abortion? Because you don't actually know what she's there for. And I wondered if the uh, that um, Sophia had arranged it. But no, she, she's having a, a checkup, which, again, I don't feel cheated. I just, again, I, I didn't really know what was happening for a few minutes. Mm. Um uh, I, I, don't, I, I feel like it's it's very superficial. This film as well that surprised me a little bit. That there's not really, to me, a lot going on under the surface. And I, when I realised quite how much it was based on Quaron's memories, I wondered. It it almost feels like we have a child protagonist. Um, for instance, there's another scene where we find out her uh, Cleo's mother. Uh, their their village is getting uh, she's getting kicked out of her home and the village is getting sort of repossessed by the government but we don't follow it and we don't understand I may even have misremembered what was happening because <laughs> it's just mentioned in one or two lines of dialogue hmm. um, um, we don't go into it we don't understand why that's happening Cleo doesn't look that upset about it it sounds like it would be quite upsetting to me Um I, uh, we have a forest fire um, and we see how the villagers tackle it but it's sort of out of it's spectacular uh, visually but we don't it's sort of out of context um, we don't really see the damage afterwards or much of the aftermath and don't really understand uh, well I from f- a symbolic point of view I think you could start saying well yeah so that that is the fire as the destroyer and we and we have water as the agent of transition I think right um, yeah, the, the the big things tend to involve water in some some regard, and certainly visually, well, it starts there, there's a this, lot of water when the whole important film things are happening. With this kind of quite dramatic, well, well, beautifully shot cleaning of a tile floor. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, we have a lot of sort of airplane motifs, I think, as well. But I didn't really get the signal. So I think you're right. There is symbolism in the film. Uh, much less than the very heavy symbolism we had in Gravity. So he's, he's a director that is comfortable with symbolism. Um, I, I missed a lot of it, for, but that's frankly because I wasn't very engaged with the film. <laughs> and I, I felt like this is almost like these are the these are the memories of a child, which is why it's very superficial and skims off the surface of a lot of things. And I start to feel have his memories done a disservice to Cleo? Was the real life character much more lively and full of life? But he only he doesn't know anything about her inner life, and perhaps never particularly took any effort to find out. So, in an effort to produce a character that is this is me completely speculating there, but in an effort to produce the character that he remembered, he's actually created a character that isn't that interesting to the rest of us 
you you could also look at it as i mean there, there isn't an obvious viewpoint child character here but it, but if you if you thought of it in terms of what this is what one of the kids either saw or heard yeah heard about um that would that could well account for it because we don't mm. get yeah you know, there there isn't a lot of mental complexity going on here yeah that's w- how it felt to me i mean i you know Quaron is not incompetent i i have to assume that something like that is is relatively deliberate yeah, but then is he saying she's childlike? I don't know. I, I mean, uh, so that's... Uh, for me, what I then started examining was my own reaction to the film, because I frankly wasn't very engaged with the film, and I realised it was going to be tricky to talk about a film, that my reaction is basically, yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't hate it. And I, I feel like I've criticised it, more than I, I, I wasn't upset by it. I, I, I wasn't. I, I thought it was very beautiful. I thought it was a sad story. I thought she was a nice character, but there wasn't a lot of plot to follow. And I, I was. Uh, and it was over I, two hours. It is a slow. It's full of very low, long, lingering shots, which close-ups on mundane objects. Yeah, that, that would be the drinking game for this film. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> many of which were dog shit. Um, uh, I like the the. Well, I was going to say, you know, the driver. That we have a very sort of in depth uh, examination of how the the father parks in this very narrow space early on in the <laughs> film, and then we have you know the nice juxtaposition of the uh, near hysterical mother just uh, just driving in and destroying the car, and nothing ever really comes of that. We we see the car scrapes in a few scenes later, and then we see it fixed a bit after that. And she buys a smaller car, which is probably uh, what I would do, certainly giving my given my driving skills. Um, but yeah. it's difficult to talk. No, we've actually talked more than I thought we would about a film that. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're talking about our reactions me. to the film more than we are about the film. I, I think this yeah. is inevitable. I mean, an objective review, uh, there are 194,169 frames in 2.39 to 1. It was shot on Arri Prime 65 lenses, <laughs> Arri Alexa 65 cameras, uh, Dolby Atmos sound. So I, I think e- even if one is plainly reviewing a film, what one is always going to be talking about one's own reactions as well as any anything innate in the film and i i like to think that we're that we're verging into criticism here and that, that's even more the case well again when you did, did um, the film succeed in making us feel the way we were meant to feel i i don't think it did not for most of it no there were uh, yeah and i i suppose what you're doing when you're looking at critics is finding ones you broadly agree with and seeing if they like a film that you saw, as you say, or, or at you least can... ones who are consistent. You know, you you hate this, I don't mind it, but the other things I care about, whatever. Yeah, you've got to have some opinion. You're right. Yeah, exactly. A purely <laughs> objective film review would be pretty dire. Um, uh, and or uh, well, maybe you could get Chat BT, Chat GPT to do it. But um, well, you know, come out with some uh, uh, emotional stuff about that. Yeah. Um, I. Hmm. I yeah. I what I was bemused about, and we we've had a few other films like this, is quite the critical mass of of critical adoration for it. Um, I wonder if there comes a point. I mean, this is frankly uh, the kind of film where uh, 
I don't know. Uh, this may just be me speculating again. I think there's an element of Emperor's New Clothes with this, that if you say, well, I actually found this film a bit boring, which I did, I'm going to... Oh, yeah, it. yeah, go go back to your Transformers and superhero films, yeah. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because, um, you know, you're going to look a bit like a... Partially uh, an idiot and partially emotionally dead, and I think there's an element of, I think there's an element of Emperor's New Clothes of people saying, "Oh my God, this is so true to life and this is so good." I'm not saying people didn't genuinely enjoy this film. I'm sure they did, but I, I, my, I don't know. We're two separate individuals, as far as I'm aware, unless there's a glitch in the Matrix, and we yeah, both check, had a very that tube in your ankle. <laughs> We both had a pretty similar reaction to this film, which is yeah, it was okay, but I didn't feel that engaged. Yeah, I, I do think there are there are some subjects in film and some ways of making film that I could characterise as critic bait. You know, it is likely yeah. to make to make the general critical opinion better. Films about making film, films about making oh, yes. theatre are often yes. very favourably reviewed. Films about down, Man, poor yeah. downtrodden people. Um, yes doing a technically impressive thing that isn't action or explosions. Yeah. Um, so in the in the case of Birdman that we talked about recently, the, the whole, it looks as if it's in one shot. Yes, but that wasn't as universally uh, praised as this film, I feel. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, this film makes me want to Google... Uh, it, I it, mean, it, it's, it's not eight hours of unsubtitled check. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, it's... I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I just, I, I wasn't very engaged. Well, there is something wrong with it, frankly, from my perspective, and that I didn't find it very engaging. And it was the kind of film where I was constantly checking, how far am I through? Okay, <laughs> you know, and that doesn't happen to me in a film that that drags me in. Um, yeah, I do try not to do that. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I think we both use video players that that can increase speed and then compensate the pitch so you can still hear the dialogue. And yes. I'm certainly using that quite a bit. Uh, Oh, we, okay. Well, I uh, I did as well. Uh, spoilers. Well, there we are, Roma. I I uh, I come not to bury this film. Um, it was okay uh, for me personally. It didn't work. I don't think it had. I don't think it had a lot of interesting things to say about the things it showed us. That's my summary. Mm, I mean, does it have a message? Was I too stupid to get it? As the the most I got was. This person is basically trapped by her culture and society, and I don't feel that that is much of a startling message to send. No, I think we, we're aware that that happens. The, one one yeah. thing I, w I would like to uh, mention from a technical point of view, um, this was released on Netflix, primarily. Uh, yes. Yes, and there was there was some argument, mostly from Steven Spielberg, that because it wasn't a primarily theatrical release, it shouldn't um, be eligible for the Oscars, for example. Oh, okay. Uh, we don't know what the box office was because Netflix didn't have to release it, and they didn't. Yeah, uh, it, it did get a small um, cinematic, uh, actual theatrical release, but yeah, it, it did speak. quite well, I gather, in a very small uh, releases it. If you project upwards from that, it did very well. But, but it but, was a really you know, small if, sample. If you release something purely to streaming, in general, it is regarded as a home video thing, you know, the equivalent yeah. of the old VHS or DVD, and not regarded as eligible for the, your actual film awards. Well, this was one of the things that Netflix was desperately trying to use to change that sort of attitude, yeah. I think. And it was really heavily 
promoted, I believe, as well, like hundreds of millions of dollars uh, hmm. to to push it. Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, the if you see the promotion for a film, then you still have to actually go to the cinema and lay out your however many bucks it is these days. Don't ask yeah. me. I haven't been to a cinema for many years. Um, <laughs> whereas... It's quite a lot. Of if it's promoted on Netflix, then you just have to say, okay, well, that's what I'll watch right now. And I'm, yeah, not, exactly, I'm not even yeah. paying anything extra necessarily. Yeah, and what we don't know is, um, you know, how many people watched 20 minutes of it and turned it off, as I did with La La Land. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, did they count that as a, a hit? Or a, we don't know. We don't know any of those things, so we can't say. So how did it do? In the, well, have just, you got uh, anything more to say? Well, about just uh, one, one thing on that. Uh, by, by coincidence, I saw a thing uh, a week or so before we recorded this, which is that right now in 2023, Netflix is streaming about 3,800 films, which is less than half of what the average blockbuster used to have. Right. and Of those not... films made before 1990, 79 titles. So, yeah. It, it, don't throw away those DVDs, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's depressing. Um, well, there we are. Um, uh, was it? Uh, have you got anything more you want to say about Roma? Uh, nice to see Gregory Peck in Marooned. Is it a call forward to gravity? Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think it was. That had to be deliberate. That had to be his. His, uh, if he had a viewpoint character, his viewpoint character was watching a film of spacey people trying to touch each other in low Earth orbit. Because <laughs> um, it was Marooned, which is a very good film. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to think about that. Though it just showed that happening. Mm. Oh, it wasn't a masterpiece for me, I'm afraid. No, I mean... Masterly made. I can see some of the things it's trying to do, but it, I I at least did not find it sufficiently engaging in the end. Mm-hmm. Same with me. All right. So, uh, 2018 in film. Well, obviously this doesn't appear in the box office, but um, at the Academy Awards, uh, it got three uh, awards, including one major, so Best Director for Alfonso Coron. Yeah. Um, Was that his first one? He must have had one before. I don't think so. He won seven... Well, Gravity won seven awards. I don't know if that was his best one. And Roma won three. Yeah. And he won a few BAFTAs for um, Children of Men. Mm. Yeah, this this got uh, ten Academy nominations, which is the same as Gravity. Okay, yeah. Uh, he, He hasn't made another film since this, but I don't think this is a case of this was rubbish and we don't want to fund your next film. I think this was more a matter of, well, he hasn't found the one he wants to do yet. He, he, yeah, he's he, not he, one of these high-production film-every-year directors. So he's certainly done a lot of interesting but I, I would certainly watch more from him again. But, uh, yeah, not Ma- Maybe not Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, <laughs> I've already seen that for my sins. Uh, so, otherwise at the Academy Awards... Um, Green Book is the big winner. That was one, one we thought about for this. That got uh, picture, supporting actor, and original screenplay. Yeah, I read too many things saying this is um, a, a film about racism by white people for white people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody got four. Uh, one major, uh, Rami Malek, uh, playing Fred Bolsaro, Freddie Mercury. I can't believe Brian May didn't win that because the Brian May in Bohemian Rhapsody is more like Brian May than Brian May is. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Black Panther uh, got three, but they were all minor ones because obviously you, know, you can't yeah, give a superhero yeah. film a major award. 
Uh, to be, I'm not sure it, it, it's all right. It doesn't deserve huge awards. It, it's, but it's nice to see black protagonists and black Yeah, I mean, I, I have the standard problem here that, yeah, I'll probably watch it, but I've got 10, 15 other films in that I'll sequence to see first. Yeah, um, fair enough. So, uh, others, uh, Black Landsman, a truish oh, story, yeah. uh, got, got adapted screenplay. I did wonder about that one, but um, we didn't go for it because uh, Roma turned my head. Uh, if Beale Street Could Talk, which is um, romance, got some Regina King supporting actress. Uh, uh, okay. Based Fair on enough. based on a novel, not not a cheerful romance, which is, I mean, posit- positive-ish ending, but not one of those everything is going to be perfect, which is kind of nice for a romance. Okay. Um, and another one I thought about, uh, Olivia Colman as best actress in The Favourite. Oh yeah. So, well, I mean, there we are. Some some non terrible ones in there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um at the box office. <laughs> it's funny how we the first time I thought about it, but yeah, with Roma, it's getting less and less relevant, isn't it, the box office? Um or so Netflix would like us to think so. So at number ten in the box office we've got Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh okay. number nine, Deadpool two, number eight, Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. Not uh, an auspicious start. Number seven, Venom, which I've heard people saying positive things about. I don't really feel I'm qualified to comment. Oh, I've heard mixed things about it. Uh, number six, Bohemian Rhapsody. So that's in in the Oscars and in the box office. Oh. Uh, number five, Aquaman. <laughs> yes, everyone's favourite superhero. I, one that can I don't think I heard anybody say anything positive about that film at all. But, yeah, everyone, eh. A lot of people are excited to have it. Is it Jason? Um, yeah, in, in a, a whom story. I knew from Stargate Atlantis. That, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, people are very excited. Just Aqua. Nobody wants to be the guy that speaks with fish. Come on. <laughs> I guess swimming fast is good. Uh, if you happen to be fighting a supervillain underwater. Number four, Incredibles 2, which we may well come back to at some point. Uh, yeah. uh, number three, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, because they keep making these things because people keep paying to see them. Okay. Uh, number two, Black Panther. So, again... Box Office and Academy Awards. Okay, there's a lot of sequels, and I, I don't know if the Marvel films are sequels or what they are, but... Uh... And at number one, Avengers Infinity War. That's a very good film. So, well, I think, I mean, if you do count the Marvel films as part of a series in that, you know, at least some of why you go to it is because you have seen them before. And like... that's, their whole, uh, that's their whole marketing strategy. Is you've got to feel like you've got to watch and see all of the other films. So the yes. only one of these that isn't um, part of a series is Bohemian Rhapsody. Flippin' heck. Oh, so this is like 1990s levels. I, I feel like the quality's better than some of those 90s films. Um, Got yeah. to admit, I haven't seen most of these, um, but this is not so much from, um, you know, I'm boycotting them or whatever, it's just frankly lack of interest. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have seen most of the Marvel ones now, um, but they should have ended with um, Endgame. Anyway, yeah. well, maybe we'll talk more about superhero films in our next episode. Uh, but for now, I, I think that, I, I mean, I haven't got a little joke for the beginning or the end of this podcast, I'm afraid. So I, I'm just going to sign off at Roma and slowly uh, mop up some dog shit. Yeah, Graham's water running across the tiled floor. Uh, Roger, remember to insert this in the edit. <laughs> ¶¶